0: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. Joining me later today for a quick, quick Thanksgiving version of Believe in Falcons will be Anthony Armstrong, a former wide receiver for Washington and the current co-host of Believe in Commanders. So I really hope you'll stick around for that. Uh, He had a lot of awesome, great insight, a few surprising connections, To Atlanta that I didn't even really know about. Um, So we dug into some of that touched uh, quickly on the game. So I'm not going to keep you guys too long. I know that you've got friends, family, hopefully to hang out with um, and and spend a lot of time with today. Honestly, I would actually love it if people weren't listening to this until Friday. So hello from the past. Hello to the future, all that good stuff. But I understand people need podcasts too when they're driving to the in-laws house. So I'm here to provide that for you all today. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for hoops betting and all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether we're talking NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's that easy. Just make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your rewards. BetOnline. Where the game starts. Before we get to my conversation with Anthony Armstrong, I just want to touch on two interesting bits of developing news. You know, one actually interesting, one unfortunate. I'll start with uh, the injuries to Taquan Graham, Kyle Pitts, who were both injured in the win against Chicago I'm not going to lie. At the beginning, I didn't really think the Kyle Pitts thing was too, too serious or at least not as serious as the Taquan Graham thing. But that's why I'm not a doctor. And that's why I don't share out my immediate news flash kind of observations of injuries because it doesn't do anybody a damn bit of good. What we know now is that both players are going on IR. Arthur Smith has said, you know, it looks like both players are going to have surgery. Who knows what their timeline is when asked about how you um, kind of weigh the health of the player versus any potential playoff positioning at that point in the year when they would be eligible. They have to go five, four weeks on IR. Then you start a 21 day window to create your eligibility to come back. If you do not get activated in that 21 day window, you're, you're done. You're back on IR, all that good stuff. You're done for the year. I'm not really going to speculate on when I think or who I think could come back. That is not my spot. What I will do instead is talk about maybe how these team or how this team could fare without them. I weirdly think we may feel Taquan Graham's absence on the defense a little bit more than we feel Kyle Pitts's absence on the offense. Part of that has to do with just how well Taquan Graham has been playing this year. It's been kind of underratedly awesome for Atlanta at times, and really seems to have settled into a nice little role there, um, alongside Grady Jarrett, but on the season pro football focus has him as the third highest rated Falcons defender behind Richie Grant and Darren hall. And he's a one tick above Grady Jarrett, two ticks above Arnold Evacati in those rankings, his run defense, I thought has been really, really good this year. And so he's given you not an elite inside presence by any stretch of the imagination, but for a second year player, he's been awesome. For what you want and as a not a team that's uh, expecting to win a Super Bowl right now, a team that's in a little bit of a transition phase. This year was all about answers. He's an answer. He is an answer. And that is why, you know, an injury like this is so hard to see, especially late in the year. We'll have to see what the recovery window and all that looks like. But there's a time for that conversation much later. It's just that with him gone, I expect Abdullah Anderson to be uh, a guy who fills in there. He's played really well. Recently, so I've been impressed with him. But then you've also got Timmy Horn uh, as, a, as a potential guy who's gotten a little bit more run recently as well. So they're not Taquan Graham. They probably aren't going to be asked to be. I think of that or of those two, Abdullah Anderson has been a little bit um, stronger as a as a pass rush presence. But we'll see how the Falcons go about now um, adjusting without Taquan Graham, number ninety five. They're in the lineup looking at offense. Kyle Pitts. No, he has not been a critical part of Atlanta's offense statistically. However, he's still the number one player on the chalkboard that a defensive coach has to look at when they're game planning for this Falcons on offense. And now that presence is gone. But I think that Atlanta is the type of team and because they've been so creative and because they seemingly have such a deep bag of, of tricks. And crucially, because their offense is not reliant on the pass. That is their change up pitch. Their fastball is their run game. And yeah, Kyle Pitts has made strides as a a run blocker this year. I really do commend him for that. I did not see that coming. I think that they can get by or at least piece together what he brought in the run game. Therefore, I, I don't really know how much this is going to hold back Atlanta's offense. I do kind of think that they can tweak and adjust and figure out some different ways to attack defenses. And that's kind of what Arthur Smith said uh, this week on Wednesday when when just kind of asked about how how did the offenses like what strategies are you going to go to? Who is going to replace Kyle Pitts? Who's going to be, you know, the wide receiver if you expect one game plan versus another game plan? And he said it's not just as simple as as looking at you know, your tight end one to your tight end two to your tight end three. Like the depth chart is constantly changing for this coaching staff because they are looking at a matchup to matchup. And they may say, OK, how do we think this game is going to play out? Do we think it's going to get into a shootout territory like it did against Cincinnati? But that wasn't much of a shootout that because the Falcons didn't have the ability to make that a shootout. It just turned into a buck kicking. Or do we expect Something low-scoring, hard-nosed, a 2017 game, and what do we need for that matchup? Atlanta's done a great job of that this year, and it's why we've seen certain players like Brian Edwards, who had high expectations, inactive most weeks. It's why we've seen Parker Hesse out there a whole heck of a lot more than I thought we would see him. It's because that dude is versatile. That dude can play in a lot of different types of games and have a role, so he is a valuable piece of this offense for that reason. Without Kyle Pitts, the way the offense goes into a game plan and the type of game that the Falcons are going to try to play changes. That does not mean that they're going to just plug in Michael Pruitt or they're going to plug in Anthony or Felipe Frankser, or whoever and just say, all right, you have to go be Kyle Pitts. They know that that's not possible, so they're not going to ask any of them to be Kyle Pitts. They're going to take the Kyle Pitts element, I think, out of their offense. Now, I may be wrong, and they may go out there and, and just kind of try to see what Anthony Ferkser can do as, as your tight end one and continue to try the multiple personnels, multiple formations out of different personnels, all of that stuff that has really worked for them this year, with just a slightly less capable player at the tight end position. But given how creative the offense has been and, and given what we've seen, I would expect to see something maybe we haven't before because this team no longer has number eight. In this in this offense, so those are my thoughts on the injuries. Real quick, the Will Compton situation fascinating to me. He obviously comes out and, and announces on social media that the Falcons are going to sign him, and he's going to be back for his tenth season. Given everything that he's doing in the media with with Barstool, with his podcast, busting with the boys, all that good stuff, I was like, how is how is this going to work? Now, of course, we've seen instances of, of players kind of coinciding with the media and their sport at the same time. Draymond Green famously podcast. I'm not I have no reason to believe that 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 played a critical role or a deciding role. But it was interesting to see Will Compton, who has not yet officially been announced by the team as as a signing, start to kind of tweet out some some updates uh, a little bit. You know, on Tuesday afternoon, he said he passed the physical that morning waiting for the contract to get sorted out. He said, quote, there are several moving parts with my work off the field that has to get squared away more to come on the most unique practice squad signing in NFL history, end quote. But then later that night tweets out year 10 might be in danger. The Falcons announced a couple of roster moves, uh, Tuesday afternoon between those two tweets right before the end of the workday saying that they had signed offensive lineman Ryan Nizel to the 53-man roster from the practice squad. Then they had signed cornerback John Reed to the practice squad and released safety Devin Key from the practice squad. So what's interesting to me there is you take two guys off the practice squad, one promoted to 53-man roster, one released, and you sign one. By my math, that leaves one spot open on the practice squad there. So They have some room to play around. Who knows? Maybe this is just the most complicated free uh, or practice squad, free agent signing in league history, or based on Will Compton's uh, final tweet at 835. Who knows? You know, maybe it is in danger. Maybe this did turn out to be too complicated and they're going in another direction. Uh, Arthur Smith said he would not comment on a player who's not on the uh, roster right now. So that's his right. And on, probably the smart play. <laughs> so I don't think we will have an update. We may have an update somewhat soonish. You may have an update by the time this podcast comes out, but I don't have any more information for you outside of that. Um, I am watching this cause as somebody in the media, who is obviously very invested in this Falcons team and just the state of media intersecting with sports in general, this is so, so fascinating. And I'm really curious to see how it plays out. So I hope Will Compton's in Atlanta. I think he'd bring some sneaky veteran leadership and and kind of insights like that into the locker room for a a stretch run the Falcons didn't necessarily expect to have, or at least externally. We didn't expect them to have it. So, yeah, who knows? But uh, stay tuned on that front. You will not have to stay tuned for my conversation with Anthony Armstrong, however, because it's happening right now. All right, I'm really excited to welcome Anthony Armstrong, host of Believing Commanders, and a former Washington receiver himself, to the show. Anthony, how you doing? Thank you so much for uh, joining me.
1: I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. I, uh, shoot, it's good to connect with folks in Atlanta because my first, <laughs> my first experience, and my first taste of the NFL was getting invited to the rookie mini camp in 05 to the to the uh, uh, what what team is this? The Atlanta Falcons. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of full circle, if you will. Uh, but, yeah, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm trying to remember that 2000. Obviously, Michael Vick was there, but rookie minicamp. Was that the was that Matt Schaub's year or was he maybe 2004? Um, I don't know.
1: I think that was Roddy White. Roddy there White you had gotten go. drafted that yep. year. Um, there you go. And so that was the person that I came in with. So, um, yeah, but I didn't actually didn't make it to the league until a whole three years later. But that's another podcast episode that is not for this game.
0: Well, I do actually want to ask you just stand on the on your link to Atlanta somewhat tangentially. So you're in the in Washington 2010, 2011. Your offensive coaching staff consists of Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, uh, everybody except Sean McVay, ends up in Atlanta here for that 2015-2016 run. What was it like being kind of coached by some of the most, you know, well-respected offensive minds in the league right now? And did you have a sense that they had a future like they did in the NFL?
1: You know, it was, it's one of those things you look back I think I have a picture up over here on my, on my shelf. It's the 2011 team and I'm sitting there looking like every time they show it like these great young minds came from this staff and like I'm right there in the middle on the front row and I'm like man it's oh, kind of awesome. crazy to to think that you're on I was on that staff and a lot of those guys had just gotten like they were a few years in they were still at the very bottom of yeah. the ranks and um like it's 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 cool to see them all grow you know and it's cool to be to be able to say hey you know I, I knew that guy or, and I, I played you know uh, for this guy and and you could see how some of them or you know are, are, are going to be successful coaches. Uh, Mike McDaniel, he's he's a guy who he, he he got to play with some play calls in Cleveland uh, during okay. some one day a week during practices, and um, I had spent so much time with Kyle's offense that I started to real I started to kind of know what Kyle would call, and they yeah. did they started to make these switches, and I was like I was like yo, what's up with this play call? And they're like he's like yeah, no, I I got to call that play. And he did a few different, you know, motions and put different combinations together to put people in different positions. So it doesn't surprise me that Mike's having success down there in Miami.
0: That's so cool how when you understand it like the back of your hand, like you're supposed to in the NFL, then you realize you're like, oh, man, this guy's adding a little bit more of this ingredient or this guy's cooking it a little bit longer than, you know, he might. So, yeah, you get the little touches and the flourishes. But you talk about growth and growing in the NFL, I, I think. No team exemplifies that more than the 2022 Washington Commanders. When you look at just winning five of the last six after only winning you know, one of their first five, I believe, what's been the biggest difference in the start versus how they're playing now? I know everybody's pointed to, to Taylor Heineke. Is it really that simple or have you noticed more from this team in their winning streak?
1: But, I, mean, I think it's just been overall growth like like you said the defense is is gelling they're coming together If you look back the start of the season, they had two things going against them. I use air quotes on against number one, you had a new quarterback now it's not necessarily right. a bad thing but it's gonna take. That's I mean, literally the first time that you these guys have gone onto the field in the regular season. I figured the offense was gonna take a good six weeks to get going, anyways, just to get on the same page. Then you add on the fact that there were injuries, injuries on offense, injuries on defense, shuffling the uh, the offensive line. That doesn't lead to any sort of success on the football field. So once you start getting bodies back and you start having everybody kind of settle down a little bit, making the switch to Taylor, and obviously it was through injury, but Taylor's success is because he's been with this offense probably longer than anybody other than Scott Turner. I think that he brings the ability for Scott Turner to go a little bit deeper into the playbook. Um, You see in the past few weeks as Taylor's been starting, Taylor, uh, uh, what's his name? Terry McLaurin. He gets what's his name? How do you forget him? Terry McLaurin (laughs) is involved more in these past five games that Taylor Heineke has started than he had in the first, you know, six games uh, with Carson Wentz. And there's no shot to Carson, but Carson's trying to learn an offense, let alone to have to be able to say, okay, I got to go back and throw this ball to 17 more times than not. So uh, when you add that into it, you get people getting back on the field. And then Cam Curl is one of the big, big names at his back. Uh, And I think he has brought some, uh, some calm and steadiness to the defense and, they have a special recipe over there right now, which is which is pretty nasty. Uh, it's kind of like some spicy gumbo or, you know, some of that beans <laughs> chili bowl up there in D.C. Uh, you know, the defense is really rolling. And they're this team, is they're growing at the right time. Um, they're mm-hmm. coming together at the right time. A lot of teams, I feel, have peaked already, and they don't have much else in the tank to go any further.
0: You know, I understand, I think, why Ron Rivera now likes Taylor Heineke so much, right? And – I, everybody always makes fun of him because obviously he was down here in Carolina. So Falcons fans are familiar with, with Taylor Heineke from his days in Carolina. And he was always kind of that spunky little backup when you go in there and you are like, Oh, he's going to be playing against our team. Like we know it's going to be interesting at the very least, and maybe a pain in the ass. But now you get why Ron Rivera is like, that's my guy. Like I'm taking him wherever I go. Cause he can step in and he brings a, a dynamism to the offense that is unusual for a backup quarterback. But then also with the Terry McLaurin production jump, I look at and compare it to Jacoby Brissett and Amari Cooper, maybe down in in Cleveland. Like once Jacoby Brissett, I think, realized how good Amari Cooper was, you saw where he just started peppering Amari Cooper kind of left and right. And I think Taylor Honey comes in and goes, "Who's my best guy? All right, you're playing man on him. Like I'm getting the ball over there." So. I find it interesting of some quarterbacks that's just they they'll lock onto their number one and they're going to give them a chance every single time. And and others don't. You mentioned Cam Curl coming back on on defense, but a bigger name, Chase Young, activated mm. off of uh, his window, you know, added to the 53 man roster. What have you heard about his status where he's back? Obviously, probably going to play his first game of the year against Atlanta this weekend. How much do we expect him to play?
1: You know I think with Chase coming back, this is another one of those luxuries where it's kind of like you had twenty dollars in your pocket, you did laundry, and then you go <laughs> and you put you pull your jeans on you are like, "Oh man, I found twenty bucks. That's how this chase Young coming back is uh is for washington i mean the 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 thing that was holding him back right now is they just wanted to see him put his foot in the ground and mentally be able to mm. to go out there and play. You you can't go on this in the field in the NFL and have any sort of hesitation. I learned right. that my first snap uh, when I was on pra- uh, my first training camp in Miami, if you go half speed or, or, or you take a, a hesitation, you're going to get your head knocked off. And you don't want him to do that. You want him to be able to go out there and be the Chase Young that you drafted him to be. Um, and that's him being able to go out there, read, react, spin, and just do what he needs to do to cause havoc. So uh, however, however much is he going to play, I don't think he's going to play that much. I mean, fifteen snaps is probably on the high end, and that's really going to matter if they can keep Atlanta in passing situations. If, if, mm. if Atlanta gets to run the ball and control the tempo, I don't think you see a lot of Chase Young. I don't. I wouldn't want him to test that new knee, uh, having to go against a power run attack. I mean, really a lot of stretching zone is what Atlanta does, but still, that means people are trying to cut you, trying to get down on your knees, and that's going to happen when he touches the field.
0: And Atlanta's almost it's a weird, like almost power zone type of deal, because trust me, when you have Caleb McGarry, who is six, seven and like, you know, three forty five running downhill at you and they love to make that happen. Yeah, you probably don't want Chase Young in his first game back being the guy there that's trying to like string him out uh, exactly. to the edge. Plus, to to your point, like Washington's defensive line, I know that Heineke's getting all of the talk. Washington's defensive line, I think, is still the engine of this team. And they have spent so many draft resources making this as good of a unit as it is. But you got Montez Sweat. You've got Jonathan Allen, Daron Payne. I mean, those guys are are all playing exceptionally well this season. So, yeah, I I don't think that Chase Young needs to be um, as vital of a part of the game plan. But because of Washington's talent on the defensive line, I think my matchup of the game is kind of right there. Defensive line versus Falcons offensive line. We know that they're going to want to run the football. They've been running the football really well. I think Atlanta's offensive line has handled some tough defensive lines like uh, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we saw them against the Rams earlier this year. New Orleans has a very good defensive line. so like, I don't think they're going to be intimidated uh, by by any stretch (laughs) of the imagination. That's kind of my matchup that I'm really excited to watch. Is there a different one for you in this game?
1: Well, you know that—that's the initial one that I—I I circled the defense overall. I mean, you got nine interceptions uh, from that Falcons defense, and obviously, yeah. you know. Taylor, he'll put the ball, you know, in 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 play for a defender to get their hands on it. So that's something that that uh, you know, jumped out to me. But then watching the tape against Chicago, uh, they generally were sending four, and they only blitzed in key situations, like if they needed to get a key stop on a third down, then they would send the pressure. So if if you're gonna match up uh, O lines and D lines, I could flip it and say it the other way is <laughs> how's the Washington O line gonna match up against the defensive line? Grady Jarrett is over there. There have been some injuries for. Uh, Atlanta, yes, but uh, you can see, you still see 17 sacks aren't a lot, but they're mm-hmm. doing something well enough that at least they get their hands on the football. And if you're turning the ball over, that puts you in, in bad situations and you don't want to be there for Washington. So ball control will be key. Being able to establish the run is key for, for me. I think, I think Washington's defensive line, I think they're just going to be too much for, for Atlanta. I really do. Uh, I think they're going to have to. Atlanta's going to have to come out quickly with some screens and some draws just to get everybody, you know, off base a little bit. Uh, But if they try to come in and smash you in the mouth, I don't think that's going to be the best game plan for Atlanta.
0: I'm really curious to see see if you're right about that because Atlanta's not been a team that wants to stray from what it does. Kind of on its offense, not with a lot of. They will throw screens. They just have not been a very effective screen team. What they're going to do is. Just tax Washington mentally every single snap and not stop. And it's not gonna just be, hey, it's gonna be this or that. It's gonna be, it's gonna be this, 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 or that. And then, oh, it's actually probably gonna be this. That's just what Atlanta's done really, really well this year is kind of beat the team Monday through Saturday. Uh, And then Sunday, it's just all kind of keeping up and and playing catch up for a defense. But Washington is certainly good enough to just wreck one of those plays because they'll just get into the backfield. (laughs) And so, like, they can do that enough times where it doesn't really matter how much eye candy you want to you wanna put onto it. Yeah. But I, I think with Atlanta's defense, you're kind of spot on. They, they're not a heavy blitzing team. They haven't had the guys on the back end to hold up when you're going to send pressure. Mm. But they have been getting pressure pretty well. Lorenzo Carter, I think, has played really well this season in an underrated fashion. Their second-round draft pick, Arnold Abicady, has one and a half sacks over the last two games. But he is among the the leaders in pressures on this team uh, and and among the leaders for rookies. So it'll be interesting. I'm curious if Atlanta can take advantage, but then again, when you've got Antonio Gibson kind of coming out of the backfield, you've got Curtis Samuel running a jet sweep. How much can you just try to get right upfield with Taylor Heineke? So that will be interesting as well. Last thing I want to touch on before we get to kind of some, some gut reactions and, or not gut reactions, some some gut feelings for the game um, and some Thanksgiving stuff. What's up with Washington being the number one team in time of possession of all the stats? That's what jumped out to me the most because I would not think that that would be the case.
1: That's because they are—they've committed to running the ball. They've found an identity. I've—I've I've been standing on the desk and saying, "This is the identity of a team that they wanted to have in Week One." This is—this is, this is mm. what I feel is what Scott Turner had envisioned. You know, being able to have some window dressing and jet sweeps and getting the ball to playmakers in space, and and having actually having an identity behind running the ball. I think Brian Robinson brings that to this team. Uh, mm-hmm. Being able to get downhill, and I, I know the averages are like what, three point. Four and 3.7. So those aren't impressive, uh, but you add a yard to that. That is whenever you really have something that's dominating. And the fact that you, you could see this team, they think they ran the ball 40-some odd times a couple games back. Um, mm-hmm. You don't need to have Taylor Heineke throw the ball around. I mean, this, it may be tempting this week against Atlanta. I mean, they've given up close to 3,000 yards passing, but that's yeah. not the recipe. That's not the recipe. Go out there, run the ball. And, and some of the short passing game and the jet sweeps, they're just extended runs. I mean, they're you know, ways to get out on the edge. Uh, so doing things like that um, is going to help this team uh, control the clock. I think they've made great decisions on third downs. And they're going up against Atlanta, who gives up, but who allow forty-one percent on third down.
0: Yeah, they're not you good.
1: Know, they're not. That's not very good. One of the worst in the leagues. Meanwhile, uh, Washington, they're they're more in like the thirty-six range on offense. So I expect their third down numbers to go up. So it, it's a commitment to the run and just you know being smart with play call and being smart with the football.
0: Yeah, it will be situational, I think, third down red zone. And that is where defense has not been Atlanta's strength in those areas. But to your point, they're getting turnovers and kind of timely turnovers. So they almost let teams get a little bit bored and then they want to try some deep. And and if Taylor Heineke, he'll take that deep shot so they they can they can maybe make him pay. Um, Last thing, uh, what should Washington be thankful for? Most this season is it Taylor Heineke? Is it the health of that defensive line? Is it something I even mentioned? Like what when they're sitting down saying grace, like what are they most thankful for?
1: You know, I think right now, you know, we're, I'm all about being present, and I think Washington has to be thankful for. Being six and five at this point in the season, going way back to the summer projecting out, I was like, you know, at the best, this could be a 10 win team now with everything else, all the side items that came with this entree, didn't expect to have a lot of those. Uh, but they've overcame those. They've overcome those. They've overcome the, the slow starts and being fourth mm-hmm. in the division, but frankly, the entire division could make the playoffs. They should be thankful for the fact that they have six remaining games that they should probably go four and two in, and even better, to finish the season. They have teams in their division that have struggles that are coming ahead of them in, in, in uh, what the, the the Giants have a hell of a yep. schedule coming up. I think the Giants are going to fall out of the playoffs. So, Washington is sitting pretty. Everything is is right there in front of them and they should be thankful for that because the momentum and the trajectory that they're on, I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't be at one of those wild card positions.
0: It's insane to me. Washington is is one spot out of that last wild card spot and is fourth in the division. Atlanta is actually one spot below Washington in the whole NFC like conference picture. And they're second in the NFC South. That just speaks to the level of division talent. I think.
1: Yeah, but yeah, the Atlanta. I look on tape. I, I feel like they don't. They don't have what it takes to, to really make a final push to the end of the year. I don't. Mm. I don't think. Why that, do you say that? Well, I just. I mean, the first play against the Bears. Um, mm-hmm. David Montgomery gets the ball out into the left flat, and there were three missed tackles on the very first play. Three missed tackles. Not nobody's interested in tackling. I mean, if you're gonna, if you want to win not been in a good this tackling league, team. you're right. Forty-one percent on third down. That's not good, right? That's yeah. not good. You know, so I mean, if, if if you're gonna do that, you can show, you can see that they're, they're not tackling, they're not interested in that, they're gonna give up key third downs and in clutch situations. Although I have to give Atlanta a pat on the back. I mean, nine of your eleven games have been one score games, so you're in a lot of situations. You yes. show up to beat some teams, but they're not consistent. And to me, that's a young team, um, probably a few players away, probably three to five players away. Um, yeah, I, I don't involve the head coach because I think that's, in some instances, it's a moot point, but I think on the field, you're probably about three to five players away.
0: And I think that's fair. You know, I, I think that what Atlanta has done well is put themselves in those positions to win the game, right? And Washington, in a a lot of ways, has been very similar. You're actually looking at uh, the 17th team in point differential in Washington and the 18th team in point differential um, in Atlanta. But the reason they're kind of right there in the middle is because they're, like, minus 0.8 points and, like, minus 1 point. Like, they are playing, Mm -hmm. like, neutral football and in a lot of one-score games. So that leads me to my last question. Uh, Final prediction, final gut feeling for this game.
1: This game here, I think that Washington can, can win this one going away. It's probably a 27-10, to 10, maybe 27-17, mm. something like that. I just feel like the defensive line is going to be too overwhelming. Um, the, the, the secondary is going to have to make some plays. Losing Kyle Pitts, that's never a good thing uh, for, for, for a team that's struggling. And, and I say struggling, I mean you're 5-6, but I almost feel like it's kind of an overachievement you know, not really sure what to do with that, with that success. But uh, I think Washington is going to continue the same trajectory and it's probably about 27, 28, 10, maybe 28, 17, something like that. They're going to be able to cover the two and a half point spread.
0: Gotcha. I think that, you know, we've seen uh, a lot of close games involving both of these two teams. Why change up that formula? You know, I, I think whether it's 21, 18 or like 21-17 21-17 that feels about right but I, I think that I think it goes Washington's way uh, you know I think that particularly on that defensive line and with that defense it's just going to be too much for Atlanta Marcus Mariota has not looked sharp in in recent weeks but he was a big difference maker in that 49ers game and I look at this defense in a very similar way to that 49ers defense that was banged up but was playing yep. a heck of a of a game to start the year so Atlanta won that game and they won it pretty convincingly. I kind of don't think that they will this week, nah.
1: but who knows? The we difference have three turnovers, is,
0: right? I mean that that's the that's the deal. It's like if Atlanta can get turnovers, maybe they keep it a close game. But yep. that's hard to do, especially on the road when you guys will have the benefit of, of playing at home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a tough crowd up there in FedEx. They go, they're going to get out there. The, uh, the burgundy and gold will come out in full force. I, I know there's going to be hype. I mean, they're, they're honoring Sean Taylor. They're going to have a statue oh, wow. uh, erected. So, yeah. Oh, that's going to be tough. And birds are coming into a, into a hell of a hornet's nest, okay? Oh, my so, God.
0: Atlanta had to play in the Superdome the opening game after Katrina. We all know how that one went. And yeah. so now you're telling me that they're like unveiling a statue of Sean Taylor? Yeah. When Atlanta go.
1: Yeah. Good luck.
0: All right. Well, congratulations on the win. Uh, Let me be the first to congratulate. (laughs) No, we, we, uh, we obviously have to wait until Sunday for that, but we don't have to wait as long to hear this excellent conversation. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything you want to let our listeners know about? Man, I tell you just,
1: uh, Make sure y'all check us out, man. Check us out on wherever you listen to your Believe in the Falcons channel. You there can you catch go. us out as well, all your favorite streaming platforms. Uh, appreciate you having me well. I appreciate it. It'll be a good game on Sunday, uh, yeah. but I think the uh, Commanders are
0: going to come out on top. All right. We'll have to see. Until then, have a uh, happy Thanksgiving, Anthony. And again, thank you so much, man.
1: All right, man. I'll see you around.
0: All right. That will do it for today's podcast. Please. Go out into the world. Go spend some time with your families. Eat some delicious food. And if you already have, go eat some leftovers. The Falcons have a lot to be thankful for this season. They are still in the thick of it at five and six. They'll take on the six and five Washington Commanders in Washington this Sunday. Let's see if we can keep the ground game going. Let's see if Atlanta can hold up up front against a great defensive line, as you heard Anthony explain, and maybe they can continue to keep getting to the passer like they did against Justin Fields. Those may be key on Sunday. But again, a big thank you to Anthony Armstrong, the co-host of Believing Commanders, a former Washington receiver himself, for joining me today. As always, today's podcast was presented by Online. We will see you bright and early Monday morning. Ovi and I are going to be recapping another, hopefully thrilling win for Atlanta. I'd take a boring win, personally. But if it has to be thrilling, sure, there you go. Just don't let it be a loss. The Falcons have been really kind of climbing into this thing all year long. Now they've got a chance to uh, make do on a lot of the pennies that they put in the bank. So we'll see if they can do that on Sunday. You'll hear from us bright and early Monday morning. But until then, everybody, happy Thanksgiving once again and take care.